Greetings in the precious name of Jesus. Welcome to our Thursday night Bible study. This is the 18th of August, 2022. <clears throat> and we are looking at, um, we're winding down in our overview of the book of Revelation. We're now in chapter 21. Last week, we looked at verses, um, 20, chapter 21, verses one to nine. Um, are in that range, and we look in particular at at how that worked out concerning the ubiquitous tripartite formula: "I shall be your God, you shall be my people, and I shall dwell within you and among you." Let us pray, Father. We thank you that you have given us an opportunity again to look at your word, to understand the the technicalities and yet still the the big picture of what your word presents to us concerning eschatology the end times we pray god as we embark on this study that you will give clarity again and having given us the clarity may we go forth and live our lives with confidence knowing that the best is yet to come i pray all these things in jesus name Amen. So in Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 to 27, we'll try and give an overview of that in the study today. And um, what we'll be doing is looking at the, 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 the problems that the church has been having over the years concerning this. In particular, the understanding of the how to take these passages literally. Um, no, when I say literally, I mean that they are real, yes, but they are not allegorical, they're real for sure. But this reality, we have to be careful that it is beyond the um, what we read here. These are just earthly um, signs of trying to get a clear picture of what the future will be like. Very important to understand that. And so we'll be digging into the book of um, Revelation and in particular, this particular area. Now I want to warn you that I'm going to say some things that I've been saying that some of us might not um, accept and agree with, but that's okay. Um, I am here to follow through on what God's word teaches and not what, you know, what we think it is saying in our own imagination. Imagination is a good thing, but imagination must be informed by the truth of God's word. So when you look at, we'll just recap a little bit. We saw where um, the new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven. Now, this might seem a bit far-fetched to us, but it's not because we, start, we were taught last week that the new Jerusalem is both a literal place and also, in another sense, it is the people of God the church. 
the dwelling of God with his people. And it's important for us to understand it in that regard. Because if we don't, then we'll be not appreciating the truth of God's word. I'm going to also highlight some of the problems if we do not accept it that way. I'm showing in this study that there's a contrast between Babylon as in chapter 17, where at one time we belong to that system. And, um, and now in Revelation 21, we see that the redeemed people are no longer Babylon, as it were, but the new Jerusalem. That is a real contrast that we can note definitely. I also want to make a special note that the last two chapters of Revelation, they give a broad picture of the future um, of the second coming of the Lord and of the dwelling of God upon this glorified earth forever with his people. Now, I must also clarify that I have heard many songs indicating that we're going to live on some mansions in the outer space somewhere. But I'm yet to see that taught in scripture as John chapter 14 verse 1 some people take that out of context and at the same time when you look at um, John chapter 14 verse 23 you see the same word used for mansion is used there and it refers to the dwelling of God yes but the word mansion was not the sense there because that came into play in the time of the King James words and when it was written, where place of loftiness and grandeur was looked upon as, you know, a mansion, the best that there is. And that is true. It's the best that there is that God has to offer his people. But what comes in our minds, in, in, in my father's house are many mansions. Well, um, it's important to know what the house is not how we think of a house. Because when the psalmist says in Psalm 23, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever, not referring to a literal house in that regard but he's speaking about the household of God, speaking about the people of God. And it's important for us to know, make that important distinction because if we do not, then we'll be conjuring up all kinds of um, wrong concept in our minds. Um, when he talks about the, in my father's house, it means my father's dwelling place are many, rooms um, that means we have a place 
in the relationship between the Father, Son, and Spirit. That is what it means in essence. And Jesus said this just before he went to the cross. I did a study of this when I did a series on the through John's gospel, looking at the I am statements. And so we have, we have to be very careful when we talk about it in that regard. It is referring to um, before Jesus Christ went to the cross and he has opened up a way at the cross where he, we have a place. You remember, you know, the, the, the dwelling of God was in the temple. And because the dwelling of God was in the temple, God's final destiny with us, his people, has to deal specifically with an eternal dwelling. And this eternal dwelling is significant because it is echoing the very intention of God to be with his people eternally. And because of that, we get a full picture of the final destiny in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. And so we need to make some introductory observations. And the first one is that the description of the city in Revelation chapter 21 from verse 9 to chapter 22 and verse 5 is largely related and based on a previous and antecedent theology of the temple and the city in Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48. And it will be clear to us that the fulfillment of Ezekiel's vision of the latter-day temple is found in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven and the new earth. So those three things, new Jerusalem, new heaven, new earth. Old heaven, old Jerusalem is gone. The old earth is parting away. The old, the old heaven will vanish too. And so Ezekiel's vision of the temple is to be literally fulfilled in an actual physical structure um, constructed either during the so-called tribulation period and during the alleged millennium kingdom following Christ's second coming. This is what some hold to. I don't hold to this view, what I just stated. And I think that um, it can be very misleading when one thinks in that way. The vision given in Ezekiel is fulfilled in the new heaven and the new earth, and in particular, the new Jerusalem is at the center of the new heaven and the new earth that comes down from heaven to earth at the time of Christ's second coming. It's also important to note that, as I said earlier, the vision of the great prostitute in Revelation 17. And here in Revelation 21, you see the bride here mentioned. It's interesting to note the parallel. 
in chapter 17, verses 1 and 3, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. Then in Revelation 21, verses 9 and 10, we see something similar. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the city. We'll see, look at that in a moment with more clarity. And so what John is stating here through the revelation is that John is showing us how the entire world in every age is divided into two contrasting groups. One is a harlot, an idolatrous and, an, an idolatrous and unfaithful woman or a prostitute who rebels against God. The other is a beautiful bride and a faithful wife who adorns herself and lives in perfect and unbroken intimacy with her bridegroom. And it's important to observe that these two cities, note that dwelling of people, these two cities, not a literal city that we have with buildings now, but these two cities, Babylon and the New Jerusalem, that is at the heart of this contrast between Revelations 17 to 21, Babylon and the New Jerusalem. And so these two cities is a picture of adorned with much of the same attire, if you notice, gold, precious stones, and pearls. And also, there's a contrasting in Revelation 17, as I stated earlier, is what the people of God were before they came to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And now they were cleansed and beautified by the saving grace of God. They now become the bride in Revelation 21, the people of God, the redeemed, cleansed of all stain, the purified. And it's interesting to note also that we understand it in this way. Then a question must be asked, is this a literal city or a symbolic one? And here's where you might, you know, get in disagreement with me. I believe it is symbolic, but symbolic of something that is very real. Let us not, let us not um, try to allegorize it. Let us not try to believe that 
literal and real are synonymous, not necessarily. And that symbolic is not real. I believe that it is symbolic, but symbolic of something very real. And the symbolic language must be understood to understand the reality. Also, note that the community of the redeemed, the bride of the Lamb in Revelation 21 verses 2 and 10, is equated with the detailed layout of the city. Revelation 21 verses 11 to 22 verse 5. When John is told that the angel will soon show him the bride, the wife of the land, he immediately shows him the holy city in Jerusalem. And then John was shown the great prostitute and now he's shown the beautiful bride. Note also that what John, what from the point of verse 10 onward, John is actually stating the description of the city. And if the city is equivalent to people, we have to be careful that we do not take the city as totally <coughs> a literal place without people. We focus on the place more than on the person. The place is where the new Jerusalem coming down to earth. Now, it is a city, but city, as you know, are the people of God dwelling on a glorified earth forever. So it's important to understand that. Um, so it's the vision of verses 10, 9, and 10. John's prophetic experience is in the spirit. Uh, and is a clear illustration of Ezekiel's experience in Ezekiel 2, verse 2, and, um, and so on. Ezekiel 3, verse 12. Ezekiel 11, verse 1. And Ezekiel 43 and verse 5. There's a verbal connection in their perspective experiences which confirm what was earlier suggested of the New Jerusalem, that the New Jerusalem is a fulfillment of the temple in Ezekiel, the vision verses 40 to 48 in Ezekiel. And of utmost importance, it is the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and it, 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 it emphasizes the people of God. And I want to hammer that home, brethren, as I teach this. Back in Revelation 2, 21, verse 2, we see the same thing again. John saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 2. You see that? So there we see in verse 2 of Revelation 21 that again, 
the city, the new Jerusalem, is described as the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Again, in verses 9 and 10 of Revelation 21, when John is told that he will be shown the bride, the wife of the Lamb, is carried into a mountain by the Spirit of God and is shown the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, verse 10. The city symbolizes the saints, the people of God. We don't, one commentator said that we don't simply live in the new Jerusalem. We are the new Jerusalem. This city is a church, the bride of Christ adorned in the beauty and loveliness that she received by grace from God. That's why we're told by Paul that um, he shall present us unto himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. Just like a, a, a person is going to present their daughter to the groom. We, we find that God shall present us to himself. You get this relational um, connection here. And so in Revelation chapters 21 to 22, we are shown and this, what it described is a church in its eschatological beauty as a bride of the Lamb. That is what these two last chapters are about. Let us not lose sight of that. So let us go into now the, the structure and descriptive profile of this city, which is found in Revelation 21, verses 11 to 21. We look at each element and break it down. And, um, and again, you may disagree with me, and I'm just, I'm just stating that, but your disagreement has to be founded on exegetical truth. The city of the bride or the bride of the lamb is said to have the glory of God. Verse 11. And in the Old Testament, you see the glory is described in so many ways. The glory is described as filling um, the temple. And um, this glory as stated in John chapter 17 and verse 22, that this glory already lives inside every Christian person. Um, and this glory is dear because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself made it clear in John 17 verse 22. He said, the glory that you, the Father, have given me, the Son, I've given to them, not shall give, but I have already given to them. And we see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, notice in the collective singular noun, not faces, because his face 
the faith relationship with the Father, we're gathered up and to share. Uh, unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. All right. And so it's important for us to understand that. And this glory will reach its consummate expression in the new earth and in the new Jerusalem. Then we see something described as jasper stone. Revelation 4 verse 3 you hear it describes the appearance of God's being. Jasper is an opaque quartz mineral and occurs in, vert, in various colors, commonly red, green, yellow, and brown. And um, this is what Professor Johnson says. And of course, this is just an imagery showing the grandeur of God's glory. Then we are told that the city had a great wall, a great high wall. And it means that it's secure in nature. And it's seen in, in Isaiah 26 and verse one, Ezekiel 40 verses five and six, the emphasis here is that no enemy will be there to breach any wall against God's people ever again. And by time, and to prove it is that God's enemies are already defeated. And, um, and that is key to understand. Then the wall had 12 gates with an angel stationed at or on each. You see it in verses 12 and 13 of Revelation 21. These angels are similar to those in the seven, to the seven churches, Revelation chapters two to three. See all Isaiah, we see also this is stated in Isaiah 62 and verse six where it sits there, on your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. So we see that the gates written on the 12 mm -hmm. tribes of Israel the wall has 12 foundation stones. We see that it represents the 12 apostles. And so you have the 12 tribes and you have the 12 apostles. You're looking at the number 24, the sum of the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. But this already occurred in Revelation verse 4. And some believe that was the way that David organized his temple with 24 orders of priests. First Chronicles 24, 
verses 3 to 19. And the Levitical gatekeepers in chapter 26, verses 17 to 19, Leviticus. And in 24, orders of Levites. In 25, chapter 25 of, of you know, Leviticus, verses 6 to 31. Okay, I think that's Chronicles, first Chronicles, I should say, 25 verses 6 to 31. Sorry about that. And um, you see here the integration of the apostles together with the tribes of Israel as part of the city's te um, temple structure prophesied in Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48. Um, there's a kind of multiracial Christian church that you see the, the 12 tribes and Ephesians that talk about, Paul talks about the, the wall of partition broken down and Gentiles and Jews and nations coming into form one body. And so God has one people, not two sets of people comprising of believing Jews, one set, and believing Gentiles, the other, but they come together to form one body. And they have equal inheritance according to promise. And so the New Jerusalem symbolizes the unity of God's people from every age both believing Israelites and the church are classed as one people of God. And the angels here measuring the city, the city temple as drawn in Ezekiel 40 verses three to five. The measuring itself speaks about the security of the inhabitants. You're secure, you know, and guaranteed protection from God. And this happens when God would make this imagery of the walls. And why that is so important is because now in the consummated temple, God's people are protected in every way, spiritually as well as physically, because we would be here with our glorified bodies. Now, it gets more specific when we look at the measurements. We see that the city is initially said to be laid out as a square with its length and width being equal. John indicates it as a cube. 
its length, width, and height are equal, verse 16 of Revelation 21. Each side is said to be 12,000 stadi, stadia, stadia, S-T-A-D-I-A. A stadion was 607 feet, hence 12 stadia, stadia equal 1,500 miles. A city of this size, brethren, would occupy the entire Mediterranean world. And um, from Jerusalem to Spain, one commentator said, this is what Phillips in his commentary on page 644. And in my mind, the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle was a perfect cube as well. Perfect cube. First Kings chapter 6 and verse 20. So I believe that John is telling us that the new Jerusalem itself, right? The new Jerusalem itself is the Holy of Holies. The eternal Holy of Holies. It's a place, but a people in whom God dwells and manifests his glory. Note it's a place, but it's also the people of God. Even getting more technical, in verse 17 of Revelation 21, it's measured as 144 cubits. cubits. That's 72 yards, 216 feet. And there's symbolism in these numbers. As the 12 tribes of Israel are multiplied by 12 apostles of the church equals 12, 12, 144, pointing to the fundamental unity of all God's people. This is important for us to note. For a wall of only 216 feet would be not in proper proportion for a city of 1,500 miles high. Some have argued that the, 20, the 216 feet is a wall's thickness and not its height. But anyway, take it, 216 feet is only a fraction of the width needed for a base of a wall that surround a city nearly 8,000, no, 8 million feet in height. Anyone who would try to construct something like that in the calculations would be having problems. 
So it has to be um, real, but these are symbols that point beyond themselves. Then we are told in Revelation 13, verse 18, that the number of the beast is 666. It's a number of man. Here in Revelation 21, verse 17, we are told that the angel who showed John the new Jerusalem measured its wall. equals 144,000 cubics by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. Revelation 21, verses, verse 17b. And so when you contrast between 666, which is the number of the beast, and 144, the number measured of an angel, we see that 666 is numerical value of the Greek word beast. Therion. T-H-E-R-I-O-N, Therion. That's the Greek word that have, has a numerical value of 666 when written in Hebrew letters. So 144 numerical value of the Greek word angel, angelos, that shows that it is a symbolic number. Just as already 666 is a symbolic thing. So the 144 is symbolic also. The material of the wall is jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass in verse 18. And if we take this literally, how could gold be like glass? Gold is opaque and glass is transparent. But people would say, well, God can do all things, so therefore, if it's a new age, it will be so. But this is going beyond just the literal. It's real, but it transcends it that the language is trained in trying to bring it out. Bring it out. The foundation stones of the walls are now elaborated on. The list of 12 jewels is very similar to, and probably based on the list in Exodus chapter 28, verses 17 to 20, and Exodus chapter 39, verses 8 to 14, of the stones that the priest wore on his breastplate, that the jewels of the Old Testament represent the 12 tribes of Israel, are now applied not to the gates of the city, example, 12 tribes, but to the foundation stones, example, the 12 apostles. And so we must never forget what Peter taught our teachers in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, 
that we are living stones that are being built upon a spiritual house. And of course, we, we want to think that everyone will be rich and so on. Yet there's a place for that because of the, the value of the items mentioned there. But we're dealing with high prophetic symbolism. When we hear the word symbol, I think what comes in our minds, uh, many of us, is that of either allegorical or not real. And that is not what it means. Symbol just simply means that something that once you understand the symbolism, symbolism of it, it points beyond that symbol as a sign to a deep meaning in what the symbol represents. And also in verse 21 of Revelation 21, you see where the gate is said to be a large pearl. No. Some people say again, God is able to create the world out of nothing. Then he can produce a large, a large pearl. Even from a giant, you know, oyster. But I'm not going to speculate a bit here. Not at all. Because I believe that it is speaking about the grandeur of the city. Okay, and the pearls represent that which is precious. And Paul himself, or Peter it himself said that we will make it through much, much persecution. So are much suffering. So what a pearl represents that an oyster produces, the symbolism is that we go through a lot of tribulation, even martyrdom, and then we have this great value because of what we have been through. So it's important for us to understand that um, a single pearl in verse 21, where each gate has this gate represent control access. And it means that the worth of the access we have to God is immeasurable. We can get so caught up with the place of heaven that we miss the richness and the reality and the interpersonal connection that these symbols point to. The street of the city is made up of Verse 21 again, pure gold, right? And so the street of the city, the street of the city. In Revelation 11 and verse 8, we see the bodies of God's prophetic witnesses were laid 
out in the streets while the world looked on in contempt and derision. And so the street of their former shame is now being replaced by the street of their eternal glory. Um, the temple, the Lord God and the Lamb, verse 22, the temple. Now, John said, I saw no temple there. He did not see a literal building, not a physical temple such as existed in the Old Testament time. But there is a temple in the new heavens and the new earth. God and the Lamb are themselves a temple. And so that is interesting. And you can remember what we stated, the identification of the new Jerusalem with the bride of Christ. And yet the temple is also classed as a church. And so we get an imagery here of the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy concerning Ezekiel 40 to 48, in which a physical temple figures prominently to the eschatological New Jerusalem in which there is no physical temple there. So it's important for us to understand that there will be unbroken fellowship, unbroken access, as it were, because of this dwelling of God with man. And so, we see in verse 23, the luminaries, glory of God. The light in the new Jerusalem. Um, it could speak of enlightenment, not just the physical light alone, but we will know as we are known in a brighter, deeper way. Right now on earth, we lack, we look, through, we look through a mirror darkly. We're cloudy in our judgment of things. And so we lack the insight and the wisdom that exists. But now in the new earth, we will see completely, spiritually and clearly and never in doubt of the nature and truth of God, who he is and who Christ is. And so let us hold on to these truths. When Moses had to see the Lord, he got a revelation of the nature of God. And so I always emphasize the person before the power because it's the power of God that 
brings us to the person of God. And so the residence, verses 24 to 27. John interprets the pilgrimage of the nations of the latter day Jerusalem um, in Isaiah's prophecy of being fulfilled as being fulfilled in the future New Jerusalem of the entire state on the new earth. The nations and the kings of the earth, verse 24, those who formerly rebel against God, but God is calling many out of different nations. This is what you refer to here. And so they are now redeemed. And they bring inside the glory of the nations, the glory of the nations. Some believe that it's all the excellence of the nations will be there. It speaks also that um, this glory of the nations means that right now, all the riches in culture and everything is truncated because of time, distorted. It's called um, this transformation that takes place where the old is replaced by the new. And so this glory of the nations means that there is this continuity of what is good, but affected by sin in the nations. All the excellences and everything that happens, they, they all fall off because of, they have been tarnished by sin. When, oh, we want to explore outer space and all of that. Well, in the New Jerusalem, there have been no gates there. And one interpretation is that you know, we'll have access everywhere. The whole universe, cosmos. It says that there will be no night there too. Verse 25b of Revelation 21. There no night. Well, the Lord God and the Lamb are its light. Important to understand those things. And so another thing about the New Jerusalem is that nothing unclean will be in it. And it means that there will be two classes of people. There's therefore no, no condemnation to those who Christ Jesus. There's this purity that is emphasized throughout all of the New Testament. And we dare not, and the Old Testament, we dare not violate that. So you have to know what you understand by detestable and false where we dress up and do everything to please. So it's important for us to understand that. But yet you see that some might ask, is my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Because verse 27 of Revelation 21, 
speak about um, those there, the people there, they are there because their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So you might ask the question, is my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? And a better question is that, do we thirst for Christ? Do we desire him above all others? Is he preeminent, the preeminent treasure and prize of our soul? Do we love him? Where Peter said, do you love me more than these? Do you trust him? Have you invested your hope and eternity in his life, death, and resurrection? Do you believe that his death on the cross was for you? In your place, where the wrath of God was poured out upon him instead of you? Well, if you believe all of these things, then it proves that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you live a certain way, it proves that you is Yes, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so, my brethren, as I close, let us be encouraged to know that the New Jerusalem actually is referring to the people of God, the Church of God, the Bride of Christ. Can't get around it like that. And all the description there in Revelation chapters. 21 to the end from verse 9 all of those emphases and descriptions they point beyond themselves to a deep spiritual reality of the mixture of all races of the value of all races and that the Jews are not better off than the Gentiles. Ephesians talk about all one in Christ and Galatians too. And we must stand fast in this liberty. So it's important and incumbent on us to understand that people are at the center of God's heart and not more than the place. And what concerns me over all my Christian life is that I hear a lot of emphasis on heaven, more of a place than an encounter eternally with a person. And also, there's a lot of emphasis on it being somewhere out here when it has not the case. When we come and dwell with God, or when, when he returns and we go to meet him in the air, dignitaries used to meet people outside of the city and come back to the city with them. That is how the word meet is used. And it emphasizes that God will just have to come with all his saints. These are those who died and gone on already without their bodies and then their resurrection. Bodies reunited with your souls and spirit, and we who are alive will be changed, and the earth will be glorified, 
transform and we will dwell eternally without any barriers of temple because we'd be inside the relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit in a fuller way. That is the final destiny of every Christian in Christ. And so let us live out that in the church. There's so much division in the church because we do not see how interconnected we are through the Spirit. May God help us that if you go on, if you cannot live because citizenship is in heaven, if you cannot live with your brethren down here in unity, it's a contradiction of how you're going to live eternally with that same person. So the reality that joins us together is in us and it exists in us because we are in Christ. So we all have these fancy books written and it just, we're just caught up like a, with a euphoric experience when we describe all these symbols in Revelation 21 and we fail to understand that it's a people that are at the center of this. People! Help us not to lose sight of this, brethren. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word that we are the new Jerusalem, the city of the living God, the bride of Christ. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen.